Before we begin this week, I have a few prayer requests. The first is for my mother, Elaine. Her blood pressure is really low, and she's having an issue with that. She has an appointment with her cardiologist in a few weeks, uh, but until then, if we could keep her in our heart, in our prayers, that would be greatly appreciated. Next request is for Angel. She is a co-worker of my wife, Haven. Uh, Angel is suffering from extreme pain in her jaw on the right side, as well as tooth pain in that area. She's had some dental work done, uh, but it's not alleviating the pain. Um, it's actually gotten worse. So she's trying to work with her dentist and her doctor to try to get that corrected. Any of us who've had tooth pain know that it is, it's just off the scales. It's, it's a different kind of pain altogether. So if we could keep Angel in our thoughts and in our prayers and in our heart, that would be so much appreciated. And last but certainly not least, we have Megan, Molly, and Gwen. I've mentioned them on the show before. Um, they still need our prayers. Megan is working very hard to get her life together for her family. Um, she has suffered so much over the years and been, been through so many tragedies. It would just blow your mind. Um, way too much for a young person of her age. Uh, but she's doing an amazing job. She's also working on her faith. So she needs prayers for strength in doing that. Um, she has become my spiritual daughter. And that has been an amazing, amazing relationship. And um, we can't thank her enough for doing everything she's doing for her girls and for her faith. So let's keep Megan Molly and Gwen in our thoughts, in our prayers, and in our hearts. Thank you. Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe that the divine works through people to help us every day. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Hello, my name is Angel, and I'll be your host as we explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I know for some of you it has been a great week and for others it has been a challenging week. Know that each and every one of you are in my heart and in my prayers. And speaking of prayers, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to me uh, for prayers. There's information at the end of the show if you're not already familiar with that on how to contact me with your prayers. I love to pray, and everyone that listens to the show loves to pray as well. So let us pray for you or for your loved ones or friends. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Thank you for finding us, and I sincerely hope and pray that you find everything you've been looking for in a podcast and more with our show. And if you're returning, infinite thanks and blessings to you for being such a faithful listener and for returning. 
Okay, so who out there has heard of the person that we're talking about today? St. Gemma Galgani. Show of hands? Well, there's a few out there. I'm surprised. <laughs> For the most part, St. Gemma has flown under the radar, and that is really tragic because she is a truly amazing being that we really need to know about, and we're going to explore a little bit of her today. So I found a great article on St. Gemma by John Kubasik, who is with the Mystical Humanity of Christ publishing website. He wrote an article called, What Do You Know About the Inspiring Life of St. Gemma Galgani? Wow, that's a great question and one we're going to answer today. So just to let you all know, give you a heads up, there is a lot of um, connection between St. Gemma and St. Faustina. Uh, we did a three-part show, actually three shows, three parts on St. Faustina. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please go back and listen because that was an amazing series that just didn't get the listens that I thought it would get. So I believe that because it was three parts, it really was standoffish. So when you get some spare time, you know, give it a listen. They're really, really good episodes. So again, there's a big connection, a big relation between St. Faustina and St. Gemma. So we're going to begin the article. And of course, I'll have a link in the show notes for the article as I do everything. There was nothing exteriorly extraordinary about her, but upon the publishing of her writings after her death, the world came to know Gemma as an extraordinary woman. She wanted to join a religious order, but her poor health prevented her. People that knew her were shocked to learn that the kind, quiet girl they knew was also a mystic and stigmatist. So for those who are just tuning in and this is your first episode, we've been talking a lot about mystics and we're going to be talking a lot about mystics as we continue on because they are such amazing beings. And what I mean by mystic, if you're not familiar with the faith term mystic, uh, it's not the Western term mystic, which means like magician or magus or, um, you know, somebody doing sorcery or any kind of craft or anything like that. Um, you know, it's kind of craft in its own way through prayer and communion, uh, but not as we would think of it westernly. And stigmatist, someone that's a stigmatist means that the stigmata appeared on them. And the stigmata is the wounds that Jesus suffered at the crucifixion and on his way to the crucifixion. So you have uh, the wounds from the crowning of thorns. You have the wounds on the back from the scourging at the pillar. You also have the wounds in the hands and the feet. Uh, you also have the spear in the side. And some people like St. Padre Pio actually had the wounds on the shoulder from carrying the cross. And um, there have been mystics and saints who have spoken with Jesus and communed with Jesus. And he actually reported that that the wound that hurt the most was carrying that cross after on his shoulder after he'd been scourged and beaten um so i mean we couldn't we couldn't even imagine what what that was like it's just unfathomable 
So again, a stigmatis is somebody who gets the appearance of those wounds. They will actually have them. Uh, St. Padre Pio had them. We've had uh, saints we've talked about previously who have had the stigmata. And it is very painful. Um, you know, they suffer greatly with it, but they suffer greatly with joy, if you can imagine that. So let's begin at the beginning of Gemma's life. Gemma was born on March 12th, 1878. That was uh, just a few days ago, wasn't it? She was the middle of eight children. She lived nearly her entire life in the Tuscan town of Lucca, Italy. If her life could be narrowed down to a short description, it would be her progressive immersion in and love of Jesus's passion. And for those of you who aren't Roman Catholic, uh, what they what they mean by Jesus's passion is from the time he was taken into custody um, all the way to his death on the cross. That's considered to be the passion of Christ. Gemma's mystical experiences began as a little child and continued her whole life, all centered on the passion and redempted suffering. She had visions of Jesus, Our Lady, who is the mother of God, or Jesus, however you want to believe that, and her guardian angel. Doesn't that sound like Saint Padre Pio? Gemma may have been reserved in public, but she was never reserved with her heavenly friends. She spoke with a boldness to them as well as to her spiritual directors, occasionally incurring their wrath. She led a happy life as a child and was part of a loving family, but tragedy struck Gemma's family on a few occasions. Her mother passed away when Gemma was only eight years old. She lost her closest brother, when she was 17, and her father passed when she was 19. The loss of her mother was specifically difficult, but not without consolations. First, at Mass, a voice asked Gemma if her mother could be taken. It was one of the first offerings she gave to our Lord. So keep in mind, Gemma was eight years old when this occurred. Um, she went to Mass. It's in her biography, and there is a free copy of her biography that you can either read online or print out and read. It's in a great PDF format, so it's very easy to download to your computer and safe and print out. And, of course, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So here's 8-year-old Gemma in Mass after her mother passed, and she hears this voice asking if the... if they, the divine, could take her mother. It was a trial for little Gemma. And I know that's very difficult for us to understand or even believe, uh, especially for something happening to a child. You know, a psychiatrist or psychologist would say that this was some kind of mental trauma Gemma was going through. I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinions, and I don't sway you either way, but you know, as we go with Gemma's story, I think you'll really start to believe what Gemma said and where she was coming from and what she experienced. We have to remember that people on the mystic level are at a completely different frequency than we are. Their life 
in what they experience is completely different than what we experience. Uh, we experience everything for the most part in a relative way, which is in what we, what our senses can detect, you know, what we can see, touch, taste, smell, um, you know, everyday life around us that is visible to us. That's what we take to be our reality, which is what is called relative in, in Eastern terms. But there's that ultimate reality, which is the reality of the divine, that which operates on a higher frequency, um, that which operates in the realm of the divine. And mystics have this thing where they commune so much with the divine and divine beings, such as, you know, guardian angels, saints, other people who have passed, Jesus, um, Buddha, Mary, God, Allah, um, you know, the divine, Hecate, um, whatever you want to label these higher beings, uh, that are actually transcending of all labels. They can't be put into a box because when we label something, that's really constricting and restricting um, something that is divine. So these people that are mystics are so in that world, but they're also in our world as well. So they're like between worlds, between realms, between dimensions, if you want to use that terminology. And because of that higher vibration, they appear and act very differently to us average folks. Um, we might consider them to be insane, you know, psychologically touched at the least. Um, we may see them as fabricating these things as that, that are having delusions, um, illusions, believing these things. Maybe we see them as schizophrenic. Um, you know, there's a whole list and slew. I'm not I'm not a psychologist, nor will I play one on podcast. But I think you get the point is that, you know, I always use the term fantastical. And that's what their their lives and their stories are to a lot of ordinary people is they can be considered fantastical, outlandish, something you would see in a sci-fi movie or fiction. But to the contrary, these are actual people who have lived and are living that are actually going through these experiences and feelings and witnessing these things. It's just, it's mind-blowing, it's amazing, and it's so tragic that even to this day, with technology and supposedly as smart, I know I'm laughing, as smart as we're supposed to be with all the technology we have, right, that we don't see these people for what they truly are and embrace them and explore them and allow them to share what they are experiencing and seeing and feeling with us because they can greatly help us. But all too often, and Gemma is an example of many that have gone before her and after her, that we don't realize these things until after they're gone. And that's a little too late, I think. I mean, it's great that we have information on them, but it's not the same as if you were sitting down with St. Gemma while she was alive or St. Faustina or St. Therese or Thich Nhat Hanh or St. Padre Pio or... 
you know, Melissa Henning Camp or any of these amazing beings and actually getting it firsthand from them. You know, it's something that we've missed and that's a great loss. So again, little Gemma sitting in mass, eight years old, has just lost her mother and the divine is asking her to let go of her mother and allow it to take her. And it gets into, like I said, in the bio, it gets into uh, detail about this. Gemma wrote about it. You know, at first she was definitely, no, I want my mom back, which of course, I mean, come on. Anyone of any age, especially a child, wants their parent, needs their parent. Uh, but she experienced this overwhelming sense of grace and comfort that it was okay to let her mother go. Now, we could interpret that many ways. We can interpret it that her mother did not want to move on because she knew that Gemma needed her and was going to, you know, stay back uh, in spirit to be there for Gemma instead of moving forward in, you know, in her uh, life cycle. Or it could have, and or, it could have been the divine, just the divine saying, hey, please, you know, let me take your mother. So Gemma did allow the divine, gave her consent at the age of eight to allow the divine to take her mother. The article continues by saying, like all sufferings, they at once hurt us and also open our hearts to great amounts of grace. I think it's something we all miss when we experience a great loss is that opening of our heart to grace. Second, rather than dwell on the negative, she embraced Jesus's gift to humanity of his mother. So she turned to the Holy Mother, the mother of Jesus, also known as the mother of God in Roman Catholic and uh, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox faith. Um, she turned to her as a mother. The Galgani family celebrated Christmas on a much somber note that year. But it was Gemma who took the role of cheering up the rest of the family. Her mother's medical bills had a drastic effect on her father's finances. When he passed away, the children were orphaned. Their extended family took on the care of the children with varying degrees of enthusiasm. So when Gemma's father passed away, there was still enormous debt left over from when her mother passed away. Um, all those years later that he still was not able to pay off. And so the children all became orphans and some family came in to kind of help, but they were very reluctant and very nonchalant and not very caring about it. So one of Gemma's early encounters with the divine set the tone for the rest of her life, her first communion. She received the Holy Eucharist for the first time on the Feast of the Sacred Heart in 1887. That she received First Communion at nine years old was uncommon at that time. Unlike the present day, the age at which children could receive First Communion varied by region, country, and diocese. The current practice of receiving at seven years old was set until several years after Gemma's death by St. Pope Pius X. 
Gemma's pastor only relented in admitting her to the sacrament out of exasperation, quote, saying she would otherwise die of grief. And Gemma's bio goes into more detail about that because, bless her little heart, she wanted to take uh, partake of the sacraments so badly, especially communion, because she knew what that meant. And those of you that are Roman Catholic um, and Orthodox as well know what that means and how um, important that is. Also, other faiths partake of the Eucharist as well uh, in different ways and forms. But with that denomination, with that faith, it's it's very, very important. And there's a, there's an extreme emphasis placed on it. Um, and mystical emphasis placed on it as well. And so poor little Gemma would actually just hound her priest every time she saw him. It was like every five minutes, can I take communion, can I take communion, can I take communion? And she'd just go on and on and on. And every time he would say no, she would literally, her heart would break. She would cry so hard that it got to the point where honestly, he thought she was going to die from grief because that actually happened with another saint that we'll be exploring in season three that uh, this little saint, when she wanted communion so bad and was put off and put off and put off, that finally when she took communion, she actually died from just the sheer rapture and being ecstatic to have received it. I know, more fantastical stuff, right? <laughs> anyway, the article goes on by saying, Gemma's time in school was interrupted on a couple of occasions due to poor health. In her autobiography, Gemma describes herself as a troublemaker in school, neglectful of her lessons, and full of pride. Her spiritual director for the last three years of her life disagreed. He found her to be exceedingly humble, so much so that he had to be creative about how to get her to open up about mystical experiences that she was having. Or he simply placed her under the obligation of obedience and compelled her to share. And that's another thing with the Catholic faith is, you know, when you have a spiritual guide or spiritual director, um, you're under obligation to obedience, to follow what they tell you to do. And if you don't do what they tell you to do or ask of you, that's considered to be a sin on various Roman Catholic degrees, depending on what it is. So Father Germanus, her spiritual director, starting in 1900, insisted that she write down an autobiography of her life up until that point. Again, See the relation between her and uh, St. Faustina. It's not as well known as other spiritual excuse me, autobiographies like The Story of a Soul, but it's incredibly insightful. In her writing, we see a portrait of an ordinary girl who experienced the same human weaknesses as any of us, like pride, selfishness, obstinacy, but who responded to grace in an extraordinary way. Gemma became very sick with spinal meningitis in 1899, catching the disease just after it had claimed her brother's life. She was miraculously cured from it after a few months. The cure didn't convince everyone, however. The doctors that examined her considered the sickness to be nothing more than hysteria. Her original confessor, Monsignor Volpe, 
agreed with the doctors and thought her to be a fake. Father Germanus stepped in at a crucial time for Gemma, noted after this cure that about this time Gemma began to lead that heavenly and singular life which finds a parallel in very few lives of the greatest saints. From then on, Gemma prayed a holy hour every Thursday evening. The first time she did that on Holy Thursday night, she had a mystical vision of Jesus crucified. She felt a deep sorrow for her sins. Over the next few years, she experienced some portion of all of the wounds of Christ's passion. The nail marks in the hands and feet, the spear in the side, the pain of the weight of the cross on her left shoulder, the crown of thorns, and the scourging. Her spiritual directors, as well as passionist priests, all examined Gemma's wounds. Father Germanus noted them in a great detail in his biography of her. In addition to the physical suffering of the stigmata, Gemma endured scorn and ridicule. Her original confessor, Monsignor Volpe, didn't believe in the supernatural origin of what happened to Gemma. Her home life continued to be a mix of consolation and suffering. Gemma was given the gift of a new family, the devout Giannani family. She was welcomed as another daughter. Even while she stayed with the Giannani's, her own family did not fully support her. One brother and one sister ridiculed her for her ecstasies. Her sister Angelina brought friends over for the purpose of laughing at Gemma during her mystical experiences. And that's something to expand on a little bit is when these great beings are having these mystical experiences, they can tend to zone out. They can tend, can tend to uh, almost become a zombie where they're just kind of staring out in space and they don't respond to anything or anyone around them. Uh, they can also go into tongues. Um, there's so many different ways that people experience these uh, what they call ecstasies or these commun these very, very close communions and mystical experiences. So her family was like selling tickets, bringing kids over to see the freak that is Gemma. And, and that, you know, unfortunately, we see that with so many of these saints of the suffering they not only go through because of who and what they are and the connections that they have and the spiritual level that they're at, but we also see it from a human perspective of how we as humans relate to them, or I should say don't relate to them. And therefore we, you know, make fun of them, don't believe them, ridicule them, persecute them. I mean, you have to remember, as uh, Father Richard Rohr says, you have to remember that the religious people are the ones that killed Christ. Yes, that he was handed over to the Romans and the Romans did it, but who took him into custody, accused him of these things, and then turned him over to the Romans with the stipulation that they would kill him. It was religious people. So, you know, here we have Gemma, her own, you know, spiritual, first spiritual director, the Monsignor Goofball, who was, pardon me for going, sort of saying that, but it's true. Monsignor Goofball, who, uh, who you know, does everything he can because he doesn't believe in these ecstatic things. 
He doesn't believe in these mysteries, but yet he we're supposed to take it that this Monsignor, this high-ranking priest, believes in the mysteries of Christ and the passion of Christ? Does he believe in the Eucharist that he's supposed to turn this bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ every Sunday to give to the masses? See, that brings a lot into question and not getting after, you know, Monsignor poo-poo face, but it's just, it's ridiculous that, you know, here she needed help and she couldn't get it, but, but she finally did get it. Not only through Father Germanus, but also through the Passionists. And we're going to get into a little bit more of the Passionists here as the story goes. Uh, the Passionists is a group of uh, priests uh, that practice the Passion. You know, you have your Divine Mercy uh, parts of the Roman Catholic Church, and the Passionists are those who practice the Passion of Christ. That's their main practice. That's the core of their practice. And of course, Gemma clicked right in with them. And so they, uh, you know, examined her and looked at her and, and confirmed that, hey, this girl is telling the truth. She is for true. Gemma's poor health and notoriety made it impossible to join a convent before her death. And that's a shame because there was so much attention on her and not by her own. This was by people in the church that were banging pots and pans and pointing at her and laughing and ridiculing her, or they were putting her on a pedestal saying she's this, that, and the other. So there was no convent that wanted her. When that, That's a tragedy because that's what she so wanted. In September 1902, Gemma fell ill with tuberculosis. Like her contemporary, St. Therese of Lisieux, Gemma experienced spiritual dissolution near the end of her life. And for those of you who aren't familiar with those terms, spiritual dissolution, that means, or desolation, excuse me, that means that as they get towards the end of their death, when they start experiencing spiritual desolation, it's like they feel that they don't have that connection anymore. They don't feel mystical anymore. Um, it's, you know, real everyday relative life uh, comes kind of crashing down around them and they feel very alone. They feel abandoned. Uh, but we have to remember and we have to keep in mind that even in our own lives, there's so many times when we feel that the divine has left us and is not with us, doesn't hear us, doesn't hear our prayers. And as we've talked about in the show before, and we'll always talk about, is that that's impossible, that the divine is part of you. Remember, here I go, going back to episode one of this season with Penny Whitbrook, where the divine showed her in her DNA where it is. So it is impossible for us to not be with the divine and for the divine not to be with us. It's just because our minds um, don't feel that or don't realize that. And no doubt with tuberculosis, she was suffering greatly. So, of course, all of her senses and her body was racked with pain, um, with um, disillusion, with, you know, it just was as, as her body was failing and her elements were failing and she was in the process of leaving this life, she felt, as St. Therese of Lisieux, that, you know, God had abandoned her. But that was so not true that, if anything, the divine was with her more 
at that moment than it ever had been. So Gemma died on Holy Saturday, April 11th, 1903, at the age of 25. The attending physician left amazed that Gemma died with a smile on her lips and without tears. Gemma finally got her wish of being in a religious order, albeit posthumously, or humously, posthumously, sorry, God, it's easier for you to say, to say, <laughs> the passionist, that's those, those great beings again, that were rallying behind Gemma, claimed her as one of their own and even buried her in one of their habits. Now you have to remember, the passionists were what? These were priests. These were men. They adopted Gemma. And well, of course, after the fact of her passing, but they welcomed her as a passionist and buried her in one of their habits. She is buried in the passionist convent in Lucha, or excuse me, Luca. She was beatified in 1933 by Pope Pius XI and canonized in 1940 by Pope Pius XII. So not too bad on it. It was only, what, 38 years after her passing. So that's relatively quick in the Roman Catholic ways. We've covered several saints that it's been, it's taken a long, long, long time. So the article's really great as it, that, that gives the life of Gemma, a very abbreviated version of Gemma's life. Again, I can't recommend enough her biography. And again, like I said, it's absolutely free online. You can read it online or you can print out a copy and read it at your leisure. It is truly amazing. But the article continues by giving some quotes and insights from St. Gemma. And I'm going to read through these because by doing this, you'll get the feel of who Gemma is, St. Gemma is, and, and what she was experiencing and realizing and going through. And um, it can help you no matter what your faith is or isn't. The first statement or quote is St. Gemma says, I understand at the moment that the delights of heaven are not like those of the earth. I felt myself overcome by the desire to render that union with my God continually. I felt weary of the world more and more and more disposed to recollection. And this was a statement she made after her first communion at the age of eight. So what she's showing and saying here is that you know, as she was having these experiences of the divine and being with the divine in heaven or whatever you want to label, you know, what is after this life, she became more and more weary of coming back. She didn't want to break that connection and live in this relative reality. She wanted to live and be in the ultimate reality at the age of eight. She says, I want to follow you no matter what the cost and pain and to follow you fervently. No, Jesus, I do not want to continue displeasing you, but a tepid life as I have done up to now. That would amount to coming to you to bring you displeasure. Therefore, I resolve to make my prayer more devout 
and my communions more frequent. Jesus, I want to suffer and to suffer much for you. Prayer will ever be on my lips. If even he falls often who makes frequent resolutions, what will happen to him who resolves but rarely? And she wrote that in 1896. Like so many of us, Gemma's spiritual life was fervent at times and lukewarm at other times. The world offers many diversions that can catch our attention, and Gemma was no exception. The word displeasing may sound unchristlike to our ears. We should remember the letter to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. It says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's Revelation 3, 15 through 16. Regarding her miraculous cure in 1899, from that day forward, Gemma says, I began to feel it impossible to live unless I went every day to Jesus. And those of you out there who aren't Christian, you can, I'm sure, relate to this in no matter what your faith is. Um, we all have our faith dynamics that are set up very similarly that, you know, you can make and have that closeness with your divine and with those of your divine, which are your saints and your your angels and your guardian angels and, and what have you or whatever they are labeled. The same goes for us. She wasn't a saint when she said this. She was a grateful, she, she was, excuse me, grateful for the miraculous cure, of course, but that merely opened something up in her. Her love of Jesus didn't depend on the cure. She just realized how dependent she was on him. How do we go every day to Jesus? Have your favorite form prayers, morning offerings, Angelus, Rosary, uh, Anima Christ, Christi, Reserve time before going to bed to examine your day. Rise above distractions throughout the day to say quick prayers to him. As if you were calling a friend or sending a quick text message. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Going back, for those of you who are new to the show, we just did a show about prayer a little bit uh, back about um, where I used the analogy of a cell phone and prayer. Go check that out. It's really good because it clicks really well with what, uh, what this person is saying here. If daily mass is available, go. If there's an adoration chapel on the way to or from work, stop in for a visit. We don't have to be perfected saints to live every day with Jesus. I came to myself with the wounds of Jesus so deeply impressed on my mind that they have never since left it. That's what Gemma said. This had two effects on her. First, to love him and love him to sacrifice. The second, was a great desire to suffer something for him, seeing that he had suffered so much for me. And that was Gemma again. More serious talk about our Lord's passion, redemptive suffering, and the cross might be unsettling to modern ears. That isn't surprising. The mystery has confounded humanity from the beginning. The teaching on the passion was difficult for St. Peter at first, and St. Paul described it as a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. St. Gemma's approach to the cross is a great way to look at redemptive suffering, not quid pro quo. 
not doing it out of guilt or obligation, but what a friend, beloved, etc., would say, let me join you, let me be with you. You have done so much for me. Out of love, I want to do something for you. This cannot be understood in the matter of earning our redemption. That's impossible. It is offering to Jesus the very thing he desires, our hearts. Joining him on Calvary and working toward the salvation of souls. Jesus left room in his sacrifice, which St. Paul tells the Colossians, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That was uh, Colossians 1.24. Any suffering we undergo out of love for him gets applied to the salvation of souls. Even the most unworthy sinner can offer the smallest sacrifice and join it to the sacrifice of Jesus. Thus, it takes on great power. Now, I do have to interject here, and, and, you know, I should give a disclaimer. I don't want to upset anyone, especially devout Roman Catholics or devout Catholics, but I have a big issue with the sinner thing. Um, I got into it when, um, or I should say, Father uh, Mike and I got into it when we talked about this on his show. And if this episode has already come up, I will link it in the show notes here so you can check it out. But if not, I'll let you all know when he airs that show. But we talked about in great detail, original sin and what sin, the whole church pushing sin has done to people in not positive ways. It's taking a faith that's supposed to be do what Jesus did and be as Jesus was, uh, which is supposed to be positive to Focusing on the negative, which is you are a sinner, you'll always be a sinner, and nothing you can do is ever good enough. That, my folks, is so wrong. You know, I mean, again, I apologize for anybody this upsets, but it's contrary to what Jesus taught. It's contrary to what Jesus was. Um, Jesus uplifted sinners. He went to sinners. He healed sinners. He turned people's lives around. And that is what his body, quote, the church, end quote, should be doing. Not putting a boot to the throat of the people by saying you are a sinner. You'll always be a sinner. And the only way you can achieve any kind of salvation is through the church, which we will do for you. You can't do it on your own. And folks, again, I completely disagree with that, and I'll call BS on it every time. If somebody wants to, if it upsets you so much, you want to talk to me privately about this, I would be more than happy to discuss it with you because, I mean, I don't want anybody upset. My duty here from the divine is to uplift, encourage, um, to bring positiveness to you, to your faith, to help heal you and your faith, encourage, strengthen, uplift, These things that are negative do contrary to that. So am I mocking the the passions that people do uh, with Christ? No, absolutely not. Um, If if you do that in a meditative state, that you're experiencing uh, the passions with Christ, the, the, the flogging, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, the carrying of the cross, the spear in the side, the, the beatings, um, if, if that helps you to 
frame your life in a more positive way without causing yourself physical or mental harm, I'm all for it. But abuse is abuse, no matter what you label it or how beautiful the package and the, the ribbon and the bow and the wrapping paper are. Abuse is abuse. And, and we have to, I, again, personally here, folks, um, I believe we've all suffered enough in our lives, whether it be growing up and being abused or being abused today by loved ones or uh, by friends or by society or, you know, and, and the whole thing is, is we need the divine wants us to turn that around. Jesus doesn't want us to be that way. Jesus wants does not want us to suffer. That's why he did what he did. So we wouldn't have to. OK, and I, I pray this makes at least some sense. Uh, and we'll get into more of this in season three. I promise you, folks, I'm not going to leave you hanging on it. Okay, folks, a few more points, and I promise I will shut up. And I apologize to everybody. I want to make sure I get this across because I know so many people suffer with this and through this, uh, but they don't have the voice to speak up or the wisdom or knowledge to realize that what they're going through or being what's being done to them is wrong. There is no one that could ever convince me in this lifetime or any that abuse in any way, shape and or form is beneficial or positive. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's it, it's insane for someone to use that. And they do. People do use that. I'm sure a lot of young uh, boys as well as girls in the church, within the church. And I'm not just saying Roman Catholic. I'm saying within all the churches um, have Adults have used that against them by saying, look, you know, if you you want to be closer to Jesus, you got to let me do what I'm doing to you. Um, you know, whatever this abuse is, of course, they don't say it's abuse, but whatever I'm doing to you is, is so Jesus can help you. You know, there's so many ways of manipulating uh, young people and especially people who are naive, people who trust you, people who love you and have faith in you and will do whatever you tell them to do, whether it's wrong or not, because of that undevotional or un unconditional love that they have for you. And so some some abusers will argue and say, well, it's because um, I abused you so you could learn discipline and be strong, become strong, become a man. Well, I'm telling you, folks, as a child abuse survivor, I will tell you that is the biggest load of BS ever. That presses so many buttons with me when people say that or try to claim that. It presses so many buttons and it sends up so many warning signs, more so than all of the New Year's fireworks around the world combined, along with all the atomic bombs in the world detonated at the same time. It is ridiculous. It is contrary to what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. Again, if anybody, anybody has any questions, grab your Bible, go back to what Jesus did. Go back to the New Testament, the very beginning. What did Jesus do? How was he? How did he teach? Did he teach with an iron fist? You know, did he smack people around? Did he kick them around? Did he punch them to, to get his point across? No, absolutely not. 
He did just the opposite. Everything he did was with the utmost unconditional love, compassion, healing. And there's so much discipline and strength in that. You can look at Jesus and say, man, he was one of the most disciplined people in history. And he was one of the strongest people in history. Look what he went through. And we're not just talking the crucifixion. Look what he went through. And he did it all for us. For humankind. And not just for, quote, Christians. He did it for everyone, regardless of their faith. If they had faith or didn't have faith. He did it for everyone. So we've got to constantly look back at that. Now, again, it's nothing, nothing against Gemma. Um, it, it's, it's nothing against the, 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 you know, the people who are the passionist. I mean, it, if that's their way and it's not causing any harm physically uh, or mentally, then, you know, and, and that's what gets them to their goal. I mean, good for them. But I'm here to tell you folks that you don't have to do that in order to awaken to what you are. And that is the divine. The divine is in you and you are of the divine. Here's a, one more example. And I'll, I'll, I promise I will shut up. Look at it this way. Do any of you have children? If you don't have children, do any of you have little fur babies? Dogs, cats, any kind of animals. How do you feel about your children? whether they're human or animal. How do you feel about them? There's probably pretty much nothing you would not do for your children. And when your children suffer, you suffer. Again, using biblical references, you suffer like Mary suffered as she witnessed what happened to Jesus. As she witnessed him giving a final cry as he took his last breath at the cross. You know, we, we experience that with our children. Again, whether human or fur. It's the same with God and Jesus. They are our father. The divine is your father. Whatever you want to label that divine, whether you want to call it the universe, whether um, you want to call it I am, whatever name or label you want to give that which is all that can't be labeled or no label at all. That essence loves you with an unconditional love and it doesn't want you to suffer. Believe it or not, everyone, when we suffer and we hurt, the divine suffers and hurts as well. That's one thing we don't realize or few people realize is that the divine suffers with us. But it's normally during our times of suffering when we feel the most alone, right? But we're not. That's when the divine is that close to us that we can't differentiate between it and us. So there are infinite ways if you want to become closer to the divine or closer to Jesus as you know, we're getting into here with, with St. Gemma. And again, this is nothing against her, nothing against anyone at all. I'm just saying there's 
more productive and more positive ways to make that divine connection. Go back to the prayer episode that we just recently did. So much information in there on how to positively connect with the divine. But if you're more into, into biblical things, then look up stories in the Bible, like the story of the lady that came running to Jesus where these guys were going to stone her. These people were going to stone her because she cheated on her husband. And Jesus asked her if she did, and she admitted that she did. But then she repented. She asked for forgiveness, and people were getting ready to stone her. And what did Jesus say? He was like, anybody here that's pure, you can throw the first stone. If you're not, then you know what? Get the step and leave her alone. That's one that you could use to connect with Jesus. I'm sure it's something you can relate to. How many of you have been accused of something, whether it's legit or not legit? And how have you been mistreated by people who weren't forgiving, even when you said, I'm sorry, from the very core of your being? Other stories, you know, <laughs> the little tax collector, and I mean little because of his, he was short, climbed a tree to see Jesus and was doing everything he could to get Jesus' attention. Jesus walks under the tree and looks up to him and calls him by name. I says, come on down here. You need to go get your house ready because I'm coming to stay with you. To which, you know, people were quite appalled by this and quite angered because why would, of all people, Jesus go with this nasty sinner when he could have chosen anyone? Well, of course, he could have chosen anyone. And he did. And that man repented and turned his life around. See, see where I'm going, folks? There are so many passages in the Bible that for those of you who are Christians that want to do things biblically, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, there's 101 million infinite ways that you can do it other than focusing on things that are negative or causing harm to yourself. Again, going back to what I said before, we've all been harmed way too much in this lifetime, and it's time for that harm to stop, you know, especially harm that we can control. You know, let's try to be as positive as possible and to take the gospel, which is called the good news, for what it is, good news not negative news or oppressive news or abusive news or rules or laws that are oppressive and controlling and abusive. And if I've already said abusive, I apologize, but I think you get where I'm going with this, folks. So I sincerely apologize if I caused anyone harm. Believe me, that was not my intent or purpose. It was just the absolute opposite. And I hope you all understand where I was going. If you don't, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I would be more than happy to talk with you one-on-one. -on -one. So to close out the article, as Gemma was saying before I went on my long rant um, about offering a sacrifice to Jesus, and she was doing it through um, the suffering she was experiencing. If you want to offer an offering to Jesus, like something big, do something for someone in need. Be there for someone that needs someone. That is huge. It makes a huge difference 
in someone's life. You can't believe or begin to fathom um, how much it means to someone when you are there for them in their time of need. If any of you have been in that situation and someone has came to you in your time of need, you know what I'm talking about. You know the feeling and how much it meant to you. So if you feel you need to make a sacrifice to Jesus to to become closer to Jesus, be like him. Do as he did. Be there for those who need you. Okay, so what better way to close this show than to close with a prayer written by St. Gemma herself? Now, there's a part in here where it says, here, mention your request. Um, so as I go through the prayer and I get to that point, I will say that and I will pause so you can mention your request. But the prayer goes, behold me at your most holy feet, O dear Jesus, to manifest to you my gratitude for your continual favors, which you have bestowed upon me and still wish to bestow upon me. As many times as I have invoked you, O Jesus, you have made me content. I have often had recourse to you, and you have always consoled me. How shall I express myself to you, dear Jesus? I thank you, yet once one more grace I desire of you. O oh my God, if it would be pleasing to you, and here's where you ask your intention or your request, If you were not omnipotent, I would not make this request. O oh, Jesus, have pity on me. May your most holy will be done in all things. Amen. Okay, so those playing at home have seen that this is episode 19, which can only mean what's next? Episode 20, season finale of season two. But have no fear, we're going to be back, and I've got some big things to announce um, in next week's episode, so please make sure that you stay tuned and that you don't miss it. Oh! Exactly, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be good, folks, I promise. I will pause here for now this week. I so hope you all enjoyed the show and that you have found a podcast that you love dearly. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm reaching, ain't I? But I pray that it's a podcast that you have found and loved dearly and that you share with as many people as possible. We don't have sponsors or anything like that, so, and that's why we don't have commercials during our show. And so the only way to get the show out to others is by word of mouth and by sharing, and that's where you come in. Please, please, please share this show with as many people as you feel would be interested in it and as many people you feel could benefit from it. Anybody and everybody. Also, some of the places like iTunes and uh, Spotify, and I'm sure others do as well, now have a rating system where you can actually rate the show. Please rate the show because the higher the ratings are for our show on these uh these types of services that stream our podcast, the higher up they'll place the show. So it, when someone does a search for a podcast, the easier it is for us to show up and for other people to find us. And that's what we're here for. We're here 
for everyone. And I would love for this show to be as big as possible, to help as many people as possible without having to find or get sponsors to do that. I want it all to be done by the divine and by us, which is the same as the divine. We can do this together. So please like, subscribe, favorite our show. Also, don't forget to rate. And most of all, don't forget to share the show with others. Also, prayers. I love to pray and so do most of the people that listen to this show. Let us be there for you. Let us pray for you. That's a big part of what this show is, is being there for you, for helping you, encouraging you, strengthening you, uplifting you, you know, and helping you increase your faith or grow your faith or find your faith. So please contact me and let me know how we can help you through prayer. Now, I can either pray for you by myself or I can have everyone on the show pray for you. You've heard me do announcements before the shows uh, asking for prayers, mostly for my family. <laughs> but hey, everybody needs prayer. And please let us pray for you. So there's two ways you can contact me. The first is through email, and that's at Faith and More Podcast, all one word, Faith and More Podcast at gmail.com. The second way is through our website, which is faithandmorepodcast.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash my dash site, S-I-T-E. Again, that's faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com slash my dash site. So both of those ways to contact me, you can give me ideas for the show or request prayers. There's actually a form at the very bottom of the first page of the website that you can fill out to uh, ask for prayers. And it's very easy, simple form. It asks for your first and last name. You don't have to give that any information as you guys know who pray. The more information we have on people that we're praying for, the better, the more easy it is for us to direct those amazing and powerful prayers directly to the person that they need to go to. So fill out as much of it as you feel comfortable. And also the only thing that's required is, of course, your prayer intentions and your email address. And that way I can email you back. I can reply and let you know that your prayer request was received and that we will be praying for you. And I will also let you know what show that will be on or what shows it should be on so you can listen to it and share with your family and friends as well. So again, please, please, please let us be there for you. Let us pray for you. Again, infinite thanks and blessings to all of you, each and every one of you for being such loyal supporters of the show and for coming here each week and for spending some time together with all of us. I love every one of you infinitely and I can't thank you enough and I will see you all again next week.